Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. This is Leslie Powell, Director of Outreach for the World Fellows Program, talking today with Azim Ibrahim, a 2009 Yale World Fellow. I'll start by saying that characterizing Azim's career is challenging. He's an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, an advisor to the UK government, and a frequently published commentator on international affairs. His base of operations is Glasgow, Scotland, which is where the bank and hedge fund he founded have their head offices. Azim is also chairman and founder of the Ibrahim Foundation, a charitable organization, and an active member of a number of leading think tanks. I should mention that he is just 33 years old. Thanks for speaking with me today, Azim. Great to be here, Leslie. You are involved in so many different activities. So first, a practical question. How do you manage to keep your businesses running while you study and write about global politics, engage in your philanthropic pursuits, and serve on government advisory committees? As you can appreciate, Leslie, that's a question that I get asked quite often, particularly by journalists. But the fact of the matter is, e even though I'm involved in a diverse range of uh, projects, I don't actually run them all on a day-to-day -day basis myself. My function in most of them is actually very similar to a non-executive director. You know, I'm a part-time kind of uh, chairman of a lot of these, uh, particularly the non-profit type kind of projects. Uh, my job is simply to provide strategic direction when and if required. I've always said that the success and failure of any enterprise is really down to the people that you have involved in that enterprise and whether they actually share your opinions and whether they share your objectives and your vision. And one of the things I learned very early on in my career is that for the success of your enterprise, you really have to recruit the absolutely the best people possible. So that's what I've done with a lot of my different projects. I've recruited the best possible people who I'm comfortable that they can make decisions on my behalf in my absence. And I only provide strategic direction when and if required. Given the range of activities that you're involved in, what are the issues that really drive you, that you really care deeply about, and that you would like to spend more time working on, thinking about, possibly tackling in some fashion? Yeah. Well, I've come from a very, I've come from a relatively humble background, and uh, I've been quite successful over the last decade in in, in a wide variety of fields. And uh, very recently, just last year, I, I had the great honour of uh, being appointed to the Prime Minister's Special Task Force on Social Mobility, and it's something that I'm actually very passionate about. Uh, I, I, I feel that considering my background and considering where I am today, I have a unique insight as to how one gets from the kind of background that I have been, you know, I have come from uh, to, you know, to the other echelons into society. So that's certainly one of the projects that I'm really passionate about and certainly something that I'm going to be focusing a lot more in the future. Tell me about that task force. Uh, what are the practical aims that it, it hopes to accomplish? How, how does it intend or how does it hope to move people from... Um, well, it's, it's not an easy thing. It's actually a quite a complicated process, as you can appreciate. Social mobility, I think, has, has gone down in the, in, the, in the United Kingdom. My specific job was to look at internships and risk. And one of the things that we realise is that in many professions, you know, they are simply close to those people from the outside unless they actually take an internship. Uh, journalism, for example, law was another one. 
banking was was one. Uh, unless you do an internship in one of those professions, you simply cannot get your foot on the ladder on those careers. And uh, obviously, the, due to the high cost of these internships, you, you literally have to give up either your summer or six months or even possibly a year without earning any money. And most of these internships are actually located in London with the most expensive real estate in the world. It was simply closed to those from the lower echelons of society. So I looked at ways in which we can actually expand those and open those up. And the kind of things that I recommended to the Prime Minister was, first of all, in the United Kingdom, we have a student loan scheme, which is uh, basically to fund full-time academic education. And I recommended that we expand that to include internships. And uh, that was one of the first recommendations. Another recommendation I made was that uh, over the summer, you know, London has a a very large number of universities. We can possibly utilise some of the accommodation in those universities for students coming in to do those internships. I also made a, 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 a other wide variety of recommendations on the other side. Uh, for example, for companies to be given a kite mark, which is a quality mark for the quality kind of internships that they run. Because one of the things I'm very conscious about is that we have to incentivize companies and corporations to have quality internship programs and uh, make it clear to them the value that will add to their, um, uh, to their own corporation. We cannot pass laws for them to do that. Because corporations, especially larger ones, will either have token measures which won't benefit anybody or they'll find a way around them, which uh, which is certainly not the way you want to go. I see. Uh, switching gears slightly, you, you recently wrote an op-ed for the Los Angeles Times just, just a few days ago. You argued that trying to vanquish the Taliban isn't the answer for Afghanistan, but including the Taliban in building Afghanistan's future is. Tell me more about the logic here and why you chose to write about this. Yeah, my, my, my op-ed was based on practical considerations on, on two very distinct premises. Now, I, don't know, I do not believe that we can create a state where no state has uh, ever existed. Neither do I believe that defeating the Taliban is possible. Uh, you know, the Taliban, they're not a single monolithic entity. They're actually a combination of a, of a wide variety of people. And I believe that 90% of them are actually motivated by a combination of money, Islamism, and a, and a, and a form of nationalism. And uh, so when one says that we have to defeat the Taliban, as the, the UK Secretary of Defence said, it doesn't actually make much sense at all. And what I recommend that we have to do is that we have to really defi- divide the Taliban between those 90% who are more pragmatic opportunists and separate them from the hardcore extremists who are the 10% and give empower those 90%, involve them in the political process, possibly even allow them to form a political party and come to some sort of power sharing agreement because there's one thing that they can all certainly agree upon and that is that they want the foreigners out of their land and until that happens, we're going to see very little progress on the ground. What do you think of President Obama's new Afghanistan initiative? I think the president was in a very difficult situation for because for him to go against the recommendations of the of the commander on the ground, General McChrystal, who asked for 80,000 troops, would have be, become politically untenable for the president. So I didn't see that he had much choice except to agree to, to an increase in troop numbers. However, having said that, how much difference is 30,000 troops on the ground actually going to make? The last outgoing NATO commander, General McNeil, said that we need approximately 400,000 troops to pacify the country, numbers that nobody is even considering. So I think certainly in the short term, the president had no had no option except to agree 
uh, to this troop surge. But over the longer term, we will have to look at more political feasible solutions on the ground rather than military applications. Another subject you've spent time with, and it's somewhat related to this, is that of Islamist radicalism. You've argued that the only way to beat it is to reduce the motivation of young people to radicalize in the first place. What are some of your ideas for reducing this motivation? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I wrote a memo for the, for, for the British government on reducing terrorism over the long term. And I firmly believe that we cannot measure success as we have in the past in terms of the amount of territory that we control or the number of terrorist plots that we foil. These are short-term measures that we can certainly be very proud of. But over the long term, the only way we can actually defeat uh, Islamic extremism, radicalization, is to reduce the motivations of young people to radicalize in the first place. And I gave a series of recommendations as, as to how uh, to actually do this. And one of the recommendations that I, I presented was to try to utilize ex-extremists who have reformed themselves and uh, and use that to actually you know, come into dialogue with youngers who may who may be attracted to some of these extremist ideologies. This has been used very effectively in Saudi Arabia, in Yemen, and in Egypt, and uh, I believe that we have to do a lot more of that in the West. Is that happening at all in the UK yet? It is happening to a very limited degree. I would certainly like to see a lot more of it because um, uh, we can certainly try to talk to those young people ourselves, but what we say simply will not resonate with them. You know, when whereas somebody who is actually being a former al-Qaeda operative who has now seen the, the error of their ways and reformed themselves will certainly be able to speak in the same language as these young people. Hmm. Now, you've made your living in the finance sector. Have your businesses had to change and adapt over the last couple of years as a result of the global economic situation? Hmm. I think every business that is related to the finance sector has to had has, uh, has been forced to modify itself one way or another, uh, including my own. Uh, we, we our business was relatively quite young so you know it, it was granted that um, uh, when the credit crunch did happen you know we, we were affected quite dramatically so I'm actually in the process now of reforming and restructuring some of the business to try to cater for these for some of these some of these changes that we are now witnessing and it's a very difficult time for the credit markets all over the world much of my customer base is actually based in the Middle East, even though my businesses are actually in the in the UK and Europe. And uh, so, as as you're probably aware from the news very recently about Dubai, and uh, you know other Middle Eastern countries, it's extreme. It's a very difficult time. You've just spent a semester at Yale, and are about to head home. What do you take away from this experience that you'll be able to use? This program has uh, exceeded all my expectations. I've been on a number of different uh, programs throughout my academic career and throughout my professional career, but this is by far one of the most productive and most fruitful programs I've actually ever been on. One of the things that struck me considerably when I first came here is the amount of effort and resources that are put into this program. and. Uh, just the access to the levels of expertise and the people that we have at our disposal has just been absolutely phenomenal. And uh, I, I have made some excellent connections with some leading practitioners and theoreticians in their various fields from, uh, from subjects from, uh, from philanthropy, development, economics and so on. I certainly intend to keep in touch with a lot of them 
and uh, that's something that will certainly take away with me and hopefully there'll be joint efforts and joint projects in the future emerging from that. Thanks Azim, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me.